Listen now to God's word from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shear. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and, he, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to now invite Pastor Sherry forward. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the way it speaks to our lives and calls us to hear you anew and, and think about the ways that you are working in our lives, this community, and the world around us. We thank you for the words that you have put on Sherry's heart, that they may be words for our lives and our hearts. Give her now clarity of thought and speech and our ears open wide to listening to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. There is a, a scene near the end of the indie movie, Waiting for Guffman, when the camera brings us right into a little store in the center of New York City. The shop sells Hollywood novelty items, and it's owned by Corky, one of the main characters in the film. And Corky lovingly displays the various pieces of memorabilia he sells in the store, and one piece he shows us in the film is related to the movie My Dinner with Andre. That film was famous, not just for its critical acclaim, but for pulling off an impressive feat. The movie was based on nothing more than a conversation between two people. Two men sit in a restaurant and talk. That's the whole movie. So anyway, at this little New York City shop, Corky shows us that he has for sale my dinner with Andre action figures. <laughs> he explains how you can buy a little table 
and chairs, and then with these two action figures, you can recreate every action-packed scene from that two-hour film of two men conversing over a meal. It is, of course, meant to be absurd, showing Corky's tendency to dream dreams that don't quite touch down in the real world. But on the other hand, I wonder if it really is so absurd. Roger Ebert, the famous film critic, wrote this about My Dinner with Andre. It is a film with more action than Raiders of the Lost Ark. What My Dinner with Andre exploits is the ability of the mind to picture a story as it is being told. We see all of the stories told by those two actors so vividly that My Dinner with Andre never ever becomes a static series of two shots and close-ups, but seems, writes Ebert, only precariously anchored to that restaurant, in imminent danger of hurtling itself to the top of Everest. Wow, that was some review. But good conversations can do that, can't they? They can place us in imminent danger of being hurtled to the top of Everest. They can bring us to places we might not have been before, or to new peaks in our understanding of ourselves or God. Conversations can allow the kernel of some new vision to be planted and watered in us, and then potentially to grow into wonderful fruit. The poet William Matthews once said, it is not enough to harvest knowledge by study. The wind of talk must winnow it and blow away this chaff. Then will the clear bright grains of wisdom be garnered. Some conversations do just that. They provide winnowing wind where chaff is blown away. Grains of insight are allowed to grow, and we come away from those kinds of interactions changed. I could chart my life of faith around conversations that have left me changed, or at least have been important steps to those changes. I could start with childhood talks with my parents and Sunday school teachers about Jesus and the Bible. A little later in life, I'd have to include conversations about the meaning of life with my friends at Ingram High School as we worked with clay around the table in our pottery class. Those conversations led me to schedule an appointment with my youth director at the church where I grew up in Seattle, Bethel Presbyterian Church. And I, I, I went and talked to the youth director and when I left his office, I hadn't heard anything new per se. But I felt like the way something had been said had adjusted the lens of my faith in such a way that everything about Jesus, and for that matter, even about the sky and the leaves of the trees, became startlingly clear that day. After that, my faith deepened and changed through conversations and time spent with two key adults in my church who became mentors to me in the early stages of my faith. 
Later on, I could include seminary conversations with students and faculty and ongoing conversations in my life with friends and colleagues, with Steve, uh, and with members like you of every congregation I've ever served as a pastor. I'm sure for you, you could relay a series of conversation as well. For me, it has been a life of faith in conversation. I'm sure certain conversations would stand out for you as points of time when your faith emerged, not just affected, but converted, changed in some important way. Today in Acts 8, we heard the story of someone leaving a conversation, not just moved, but converted. The author of Luke and Acts loves conversation stories, especially those that take place on the road. There is a kind of symbolism employed in connecting conversation and road. For just like a road takes us from point A to point B, changing our location, so conversations can bring us from point A to point B in our minds and in our hearts. This journey we read about today, this road trip, takes place by divine intervention. It was a conversation that was meant to be. I'm sure each of us could share a time when we have mysteriously felt that we should call or visit someone. And if we do, and even if we don't, we often discover there was a reason for that prompting. In this story, an angel appears to the disciple Philip. Now, you remember Philip from last week's story as one of the table servers turned evangelist. And this angel prompter tells him to get out on the road, specifically the wilderness road going south from Jerusalem to Gaza. When he finally gets there, Philip sees a man riding in a chariot. We aren't told the man's name, but we are told he is the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. We are also told that he is an Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopia, at the time, was seen as a distant and foreign land, probably representing some of the furthest reaches of the known world at that time. And eunuchs in ancient time were often sought after to serve in royal households, or men were made eunuchs to serve in such roles some with great authority and power. And that was true of this man in our story today. But at his synagogue, it was a different story. Since certain laws in the Torah exclude foreigners and eunuchs from full participation in the covenant community, this Ethiopian eunuch might have known a kind of double marginalization, left somewhat on the outskirts of both Jewish social life as well as religious life. Yet, he is still surprisingly engaged with the Jewish faith. He's even gone to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to worship, and that would have been a long, arduous journey. Though he would have had to stand behind the temple barrier wall. And maybe, who knows, Maybe it was in conversation with other people who were 
straining over that barrier to hear what the rabbi was saying, that our Ethiopian friend discovers a reading that will change his life forever by its good news. He is focused in on a passage in Isaiah that speaks of a suffering servant. It is a passage that Philip will suggest to him points to the one who died and rose again. Commentators suspect that the Ethiopian might have been intrigued with what follows a few chapters later in that prophetic book, where it reads this, Do not let the foreigner joined to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This vision in Isaiah 56 tells of God's warm embrace reaching out to include all people, even those formally excluded. This vision is of the good news of the gospel going out as it is shared not only in Jerusalem, but in increasingly distant lands, even to Ethiopia. And the vision is realized in that moment in a conversation between a Greek-Jewish disciple of Jesus and an Ethiopian eunuch. Talk about conversations that transport one to Everest. This is a conversation of historic proportions. The Ethiopian invites Philip to jump into the chariot and through a long conversation of back and forth, question and answer, Philip guides this important man to a better understanding of the scriptures. It is a conversation that becomes a conversion as the Ethiopian travels from one place to another on the road and in his mind and heart. As a result of the conversation, the Ethiopian eunuch goes through that symbolic ritual of dying and being reborn, emerging from the waters of baptism a changed person. Conversations have the power to do that. They can leave us converted. It may have taken some extra effort on Philip's part, stepping outside of his comfort zone. I know that that's not my strong point to do. Not only did Philip have to be open to the angels leading in his life, but he had to run to catch up to a moving chariot driven by someone who looked very different than himself. But the effort paid off with the most spirited of conversations. The Latin word conversation comes from is a word that means to turn together or to turn towards one another. That's what we do in conversation. We turn our attention and we focus on another person. There is a real turning when we talk to each other, 
even if it is only a small turn, not yet that grand turn that con the word conversion would imply. I would have expected that con conversation and conversion come from the same Latin root word, but they don't. Yet at times, the two words seem to merge. And when they do, I believe that becomes a spirited conversation. Conversation when and where the Holy Spirit is at work, changing lives as people turn first to each other and then at the Spirit's leading to God. Biographers of J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis sometimes highlight one particular conversation those two uh, authors once had, a spirited conversation because it was one that led to a conversion. Back when he was nine years old, C.S. Lewis lost his mother. In his grief, he abandoned the Anglican faith of his early years to settle into what he refers to as a kind of atheism. Then in the 20s, his study of philosophy led him from that atheism to a kind of agnosticism, to at least a kind of openness to the possibility that there was a God. Lewis began to note at that time how many of his friends and the authors he most respected had the unfortunate coincidence of all being Christian. And by the late 20s, he began to accept the existence of God, but he was still not sure what to make of Jesus. All he could see in the stories of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was something like a myth or a fairy tale. A good story, maybe, but one step removed from reality. Then, on the evening of September 19, 1931, the man who would one day author the Chronicles of Narnia took a walk with the man who would write The Lord of the Rings. Lewis, Tolkien, and another friend of theirs, Hugo Dyson, took a walk along the grounds of Magdalen College, and they talked. Doesn't sound like the stuff of high drama, but in their words exchanged. They talked of myth and metaphor, and something during that walk pointed Lewis to new heights in his life of faith. Lewis would later write about that evening to a friend and how it had convinced him that the story of Christ was in fact a, quote, true myth. Lewis would later write in Surprised by Joy of a time not too long after this conversation. He wrote, I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. He calls it one final step. Certainly one of the steps he had taken before that final step of conversion was a step out into the evening with two friends. And open to the Spirit, Lewis emerged a changed soul. Conversations can lead to conversions if we are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As people who believe in this power of conversation to lead us and others to being changed people. I think there are at least two ways we are invited into spirited conversations today. And the first is this. 
Like Philip, the Spirit often calls us into conversation with those on the margins, those who are in some way excluded or outside of our familiar comfort zone. We can be changed by those conversations, aware in a deeper way of God's love for those who have been pushed out and brought low, and yet who cry out to God in their own struggle for a more just world. Those conversations usually take extra effort. Philip had to chase down a chariot and strike up a conversation with a foreigner and a sexual minority, asking him the opening question, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that took intentionality and that took courage. I have a friend who works with gang members in East LA. He seeks to share the love of Christ with them simply through the giving of unconditional love. Chuck is there for them when they need him, and sometimes he's there for, the, for them when, when they don't. I don't think I could do that ministry, but I know that there are others I can, other people I can talk to, if I'm open, open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Friends, have you had some kind of spirited conversation with somebody outside of your comfort zone recently? Somebody who's out on the margins in some way? I believe that there are chariots passing by us every day through our neighborhoods, our cities, our offices, through our churches and our world. All around us there are people hungry for the word of love God offers, God longs to bring to them. I think that the second invitation we hear in stories like this one is to recognize that the most ordinary conversation we have with someone can hold within it the stuff of spirited conversation. Each time we are blessed to talk to another person, that exchange holds within it the seeds of conversion, be it our conversion or someone else's. Each talk with another soul is a kind of turning, one to the other. And if we have the eyes to see the drama that lurks in every conversation, we too might find ourselves transported by the Spirit to heights like Everest, though we are doing nothing more than talking, maybe even with a friend over dinner. Back in the late second and early third centuries, Tertullian observed this about believers. He wrote, they converse as those who know that God hears. May those words be said of us, that we converse knowing that God hears. And as we enter into important conversations this fall, seeking God's wisdom about the direction of our church in our strategic planning process, and as we continue to dialogue about what it means to become a welcoming church, let us outdo one another in the grace-filled listening and sharing of our thoughts and feelings. Then, surely, the Spirit 
of the living God will be with us and will guide us as we go. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, help us to be a congregation empowered for spirit-filled conversations wherever we go, knowing that extraordinary things happen in ordinary conversations every day. Amen. No one gives.